No, no, we're not doing that. Um, but hi, it is PH5 here. And, uh, yeah, just referring to myself as PH5 from now on. It's Canada Day! Um, weird how within the span of, like, well, I guess it was always kind of a sus-ass holiday. Um, but definitely within the span of, like, a year, I feel like, <laughs> I feel like it's, like, you know, Canada Day is now, like, national, like, terrorist day almost, you know? Like, the Canadian flag has been quite poisoned over the past little while due to the actions of certain, uh, few people. Anyway, uh, but it does mean it's a long weekend, which is great. We love those. Those, uh, those are apolitical, you know? Um, doesn't matter where you are on that spectrum. We can all just get along and enjoy a long weekend. Uh, on a similar note, I'm going up to a cottage later today where I will likely be joined by people who may not exist exactly on the same uh, wavelength as I do. So, you know, just get a few beers in me and I'm sure that'll be just fine. So, we're going to talk about June, uh, as it is now July. June was fun. Um, started a new job. I feel like I've said that a few times in this podcast now. I swear I'm not as instable and uh, flaky in regards to employment as it may sound. But uh, yeah, loving my new position, having a great time. It's weird to say that. I feel like it's a, a very rare commodity these days to be in a position where you actually um, don't mind your job. So I'm feeling very blessed. The job I was at before that I left for this new one uh, shut down operations completely here in Toronto. So, very serendipitous, nice little stroke of luck on my part that I got out of that situation. Yeah, it's good, it's good. There was some music released in June as well, huh? How about that? Do you guys want to talk about it? I do. So, let's talk about it. So, why don't we get into it? How's everyone feeling after that last episode of PH5, by the way? It was, a, it was an intense one. Um, I was expecting to certainly have a discussion on Kendrick Lamar that I expected to last half an hour. No, but, you know, you just kind of got to, you know, oil the well and let it run. It's a new expression. We're going to keep using it. I'm probably going to forget it by the end of the sentence. Anyway, it's going to be a bit of a lighter... <laughs> lighter discussion this week you know i feel like last week last week week these are monthly i feel like last month uh the all, it was like the discussion of the albums was almost uh secondary to the discussion of the kendrick lamar record uh this is gonna focus a little bit more on the albums this time you know little old school ph5 episode for the old heads so let's get into it June 2022. As always, thank you so much for joining. Excited to be here yet again with you all. And if you're listening, I really appreciate it, honestly. Um, it's cool. It's cool that you listen. It's cool that you take this time. Uh, keeps me going. Not like me, I mean like the podcast. Like, honestly, I'm, 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 I'm doing good otherwise. You know, <laughs> this, 
There may have once been a time in my life where this was like the only thing I really had going for me uh, in terms of like life productivity. Um, yeah, I'm doing good now though, but you know, it's still fun to do this. Okay, I'm gonna shut up. Let's start talking about some music. Okay, here we go, June 2022. Cool. So, let's uh let's get started. So, coming in at number 5 for June 2022, we have the eponymous record by Artificial Brain. So that's Artificial Brain by Artificial Brain. Uh it's funny. It's like, you know that old thing that like blows grade 6's minds where it's like oh, like the brain named itself. Um, I guess the artificial brain uh, named this album itself. So this is kind of interesting because, and I'm probably going to bring this up again later on in this episode. But real, real peach fivers, um, real P five heads, uh, know that back last year, I'd say. The first season of the show, um, there was a lot more heavy, dark music than what has been featured this year. Does that mean I'm getting old and soft? Maybe. Um, does it mean that there just hasn't been that much good heavy music released this year? Also maybe. Um, I'm like a gray area guy, you know? Let's go with a little bit of both. Sure. Uh, but it's definitely something that I've noticed, uh, you know, that's that that's kind of the type of music that I'm drawn to and There hasn't been as much That's really compelled me or appealed to me so much this year um, And I'd say that this artificial brain record is the first like true metal album that I've really enjoyed so they are a what is probably one of my favorite genres of heavy music, sci-fi death metal band. Um, kind of along the likes of Blood Incantation, who I featured earlier this year on the podcast, and uh, Tomb Mold, out of here in Toronto. Uh, which basically means they play death metal, but, you know, their lyrics are about, like, space and technology, and they throw in a lot of weird kind of, like, you know samples and synths and and they're not they're not afraid to get weird with their riffs and their you know their their anything really anything goes uh which makes it to me by far the most interesting kind of variant of death metal because by itself it's kind of a boring genre um like, how hard is it really to make a death metal song? Like, obviously you need to be an extraordinarily talented musician, but as soon as you got the chops down, all you really gotta do is just like, you know, play notes. Um, but I really like this album because it feels like a grand statement from this band. And in a way it is, because it is their last record with uh, their founding vocalist who is leaving. So I don't even know if they're going to be making any more music. But when in 
When a band, you know, a few albums into their career, decides to make a self-titled record, usually that means they're trying to make a statement. And this is absolutely what that is. It is a statement record by this band. Um, just letting everyone know that, hey, you know, we kind of run this sci-fi death metal scene and no one should ever forget that. You know, these young guns have been up and coming, but never forget that Artificial Brain has been out here cranking out these badass tunes for a long time. And this is what we're all about. And just the level of thought and detail that's put into this record is really special. Uh, death metal albums can re feel really cacophonous and noisy and kind of claustrophobic in terms of just how they're produced and, and what it sounds like. It just kind of sounds like a mess, which is kind of the point, right? Um, but there's a there's almost like a, a, a clear concision, is that a word? to the the mess here it's like a, a you know a, a clear chaotic take on sci-fi death metal the riffs are very pronounced and memorable um the vocals are really special here it, this guy is capable of doing some just absolutely disgusting low range vocals almost to the point where like you play this around a dog and the dog's gonna lose its shit because the dog's like, is anyone else hearing this? This is horrifying. Whereas we can probably barely even perceive what's happening. Um, it's just really, and this might sound weird, but it's, it's just really high class death metal, you know? It's got absolutely fantastic riffs. Um, the drumming is impeccable. The vocals, like I mentioned, are really really well executed um i mean you kind of know exactly what you're getting you're getting your cookie monster growling um but he sounds like a really 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 good cookie monster you know i'm talking like like craig's cookie monster you know like a you know like a like a marshmallow rocky road cookie monster like just top tier cookie monster vocals going on here and there's lots of fun little embellishments around the record. Again, you know, this, this is a sci-fi death metal record, not just a death metal. So, you know, you get interesting synth passages that kind of uh, add cool textures to the song sometimes. Um, there's like a horn section that closes out one of the songs, but not in like a corny way, in, in like a way that really melds together really well with the uh, the mixing. In the production, you, you wouldn't even really tell that it's happening unless you were listening closely. And I guess that kind of brings me to my point about what makes this record special and kind of stands out amongst all the other, you know, kind of really heavy albums that I've heard this year, is that the more you listen to it, the more, the closer attention you pay to it, the more you get out of it. Um, there's just a lot of interesting things going on in this album. And it's not like most other heavy records where the sole purpose is to just kind of pummel you into submission. That doesn't really seem to be the point here. Um, I can't even really, I mean, I don't know what the lyrics are. <laughs> Who cares, really? It's probably about some space shit. But you get the sense that aggression isn't necessarily the point. Um, 
it sounds heavy, you know, it sounds aggressive, etc., but, uh, like, there's almost no real sense of anger. It's almost like this genre they're using merely as a tool to get across this grand idea. Um, what that idea is, I'm not sure, but it's using sci-fi death metal as a vessel for, you know, interesting art. And that's especially what that is. So, I think that if this is it for these guys, they could not have possibly gone out on a higher note. Um, yeah. One of my favorite metal releases, maybe my favorite metal release, if we're talking just, if we're being very, you know, very strict and by the book here in terms of our genre designations. Um, if you're into this kind of thing even a little bit, I would say check it out. It's fun, and it's just really well done. Uh, so, coming in at number five, we have Artificial Brain with Artificial Brain. Um, I've been pretty wishy-washy with my ridiculous made-up genre of the days, but I'm going to bring it back for this episode, although I admittedly didn't think about it uh, until just now. So, these are going to be off the top of my head. So, for the Artificial Brain record, I'm going to call this... Um, let's call it Expansive Kubrick Death Metal. Yeah. You can just say whatever on these things, you know? That's the beauty of podcasts. Okay, coming in now at number four, we have Elucid. I'm gonna. I think that's how he says his name. Elucid, with I told Bessie. Okay, so Elucid is the other half of um, underground psych rap greats Armand Hammer. Uh, I talked about these guys last year with their record Haram, which was fantastic. Um, one of my favorite records of the year last year. And the other half of Armand Hammer, Billy Woods, was featured, I think, just last month in the episode. Uh, probably, still to date, my favorite rap album of the year, Billy Woods' record. So, I mean, I'd be interested to kind of see how this went down, but... Clearly, at one point, one of the two was like, yeah, I think I'm going to make a solo album. And the other guy was like, oh, yeah, I, uh, me too. <laughs> How'd you know? Um, I mean, from the way that they came out and just kind of judging by the quality of the records, I would say it was probably Billy's idea to go ahead and make a solo record and Elucid followed closely behind. Regardless, it doesn't matter. Um, so a lucid solo outing, it's his first in a while, is, I'd say, a lot more similar to Armand Hammer's music than Billy Woods's. And it's because a lucid is obviously the more eccentric of the two. You can hear it in his vocal inflections. 
his lines, just his kind of interesting, very personality-inflected delivery of his raps. And also because of the choice of production that he uses on his records. Uh, I spent kind of a discussion last year when I was talking about the Armand Hammer record, talking about psych rap and this whole idea of applying the psych genre um, or subgenre or genre signifier or whatever you want to call it to more than just rock and, and applying it to other types of music as we see happening a lot these days and Armand Hammer being a uh, sterling example of psych rap and this album has a lot of elements of that kind of psych rap that they made together with Armand Hammer What's the big difference here? Well, a lot of the difference is it's just elusive by himself, you know? So he doesn't necessarily have that foil in Billy Woods. So he's kind of free to be a little bit more out there, I guess. I mean, not to say that the Armand Hammer records are subdued by any means, but um, especially after hearing Billy Woods' record and how kind of clear and concise the whole thing was, you really get the sense of what these two bring to the table and how they play off of each other to create the music that they make together. Um, so without the kind of grounded foil, Elucid is free to just kind of experiment and, and go off on tangents and I think what was really important for him on this record was to clearly establish himself as an identity um, in the New York underground rap scene. So Billy is already a legend, you know, he's he owns the Backwood Studios that um, this record came out on, his records, all the Armand Hammer records, and a number of other uh, New York underground rap greats. Um, so I imagine there's a part of Elucid that feels maybe a little bit in Billy's shadow because he just doesn't have the same level of fame or notoriety that Billy Woods does. So this was his chance to really make a statement um, about himself and what he's all about. So the record is kind of loosely based around his late grandmother, uh, the titular Bessie, and just kind of a lot of the teachings that she passed on to him about black life in America and you know staying connected to your roots and it's a really interesting, beautiful record in a lot of ways. It, it, it really serves its purpose as a tribute to his late grandmother and does a great job of really establishing who Elucid is as a person and not just as the other guy in Armand Hammer. Um, I will say this. Billy Woods does show up in like five songs or something like this. Maybe it's four. But I think you listen to this record and I I don't mean any shade toward Elucid, but he's he's a great rapper, he's a great personality. This is certainly, again, another one of the better rap albums released this year. Um but it just kind of really shows, like, the greatness of Billy Woods, in a way. 
um, like, the fact that he shows up on so many songs, and the fact that Billy's record is just obviously superior to this one, just kind of shows a little bit more of that dynamic. And it's interesting how Elucid's, you know, he's trying to establish himself here with this album for sure. But in the process of doing so, he more so highlights the importance of Billy Woods to his own art. Um, there's nothing wrong with that, of course. Billy's a absolute talent and a legend and a once-in-a-lifetime type guy. Uh, but yeah, just kind of interesting how that worked out. And again, I, I don't want to downplay how awesome Elucid is and how great this record is, but I mean, there's a reason why this one is coming in at number four on this month and Billy Woods came in and I think number two, which I think might have even been a mistake. That might end up being one of the best records of the year as far as I'm concerned. So um, all that being said, this is a fantastic album. Um, again, one of the more considered thoughtful rap records released this year. Uh, it hasn't been a great year for rap, <laughs> that's for sure. Just not really anything of note or really anything really good other than these two. So shouts out to them for consistently producing amazing music. I mean, there was the Armand Hammer record in 2019 and then there was one in 2020 or is that right? No, there's 2020 and then 2021 and then you had the Billy Woods record last month or the month before and then this one. So it's just like at least there is someone out there who is consistent and reliable and delivering some great rap music because uh, we're not seeing much of that elsewhere. So coming in at number four, we have Elucid with I Told Bessie. Okay, coming in at number three, we're gonna kind of change gears a little bit here and talk about number three. <laughs> wow, one of the all-time worst segues. Um, so coming in at number three, we have Shearwater with The Great Awakening. I'm not gonna lie and say I know a lot about Shearwater, the band. Um, I think it's just one guy. I know that Shearwater has been releasing music for quite some time now, um, at least 15 years. And the music has always kind of been, you know, on the, on the outer limits of my radar. Music that I, I think I almost considered like too stuffy or almost like too highbrow for me to consider getting into. Um, just like always featured on sites like The Quietest and stuff like that who were notorious for hyping up British like really artsy-fartsy kind of acts, which is fine. Um, and, and certainly has its time and place, but that, that shit can just be kind of boring to me. 
Anyway, this new record came out, and on a whim, I just decided to listen to it one day, and... The only way I can really describe how I felt when listening to this record, and, and the way that I still feel when listening to it, is... is Spellbound. Um, it's pretty corny, huh? Spellbound. There's a certain magical, mystical quality to this record that I find extremely intriguing, and it just draws me back to it over and over again. So, Shearwater makes... How would I even describe it? Almost kind of... folky-ish music? Indie-ish? It's really hard to kind of put my finger on. Um, I described it to my friend, and the best way I can describe it was if... Uh, Scott Walker, may he rest in peace, was still alive and still interested in making actual songs instead of the kind of horrifying experiments in sound that he was more accustomed to in his later life. Uh, it also reminds me a lot of, say, late era Talk Talk or um, Black Star by Bowie. Records that you know, are mature and um, dignified in a way, but hold this really mysterious air to them where you feel like kind of anything could happen at any moment. And once you think you understand the album or you think you understand the way that a song is transpiring, uh, it'll just switch up on you and, and go in a completely different direction. Or there'll be some sort of element to the song that, uh, without that element, it might be a fairly straightforward song, but that element is there and it, it kind of changes the entire context of what you're listening to. The, uh, the album is kind of a slow burn. I think The Great Awakening is a great title for it because it, it, it just kind of like plods along at this slow and steady pace throughout. It's a pretty long album, lots of songs. Um, and it never really reaches that climax that you think that it will. It's a lot of almost suspense and anticipation and build up that doesn't really lead towards anything at all, which is again, another really intriguing element to the music because like, what do you, have we awoken, you know? Did this great awakening happen? And, like, what are we awakening to? Like, is this an instance where this awakening that is being referred to is, is awakening to the horror of the reality of this world that we live in? It could be, because, I mean, let's be real, uh, the world is pretty fucking horrible right about now. Um... So, I, I don't know, and it's it, the album begs a lot of questions like this when you listen to it, and I've listened to it many, many times now, and I'm no closer to finding any of the answers. But it's rare that you listen to a record and have an experience like this that's almost mystical and, and, and captivating and, and kind of, you know, tugs at the edges of your mind. like. What's at play here, really? You know, what, 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 what's really kind of lurking in the shadows behind this music? 
it's a great album. Um, I think just about anyone can get into it. I would be mindful of the fact that it, it can be very slow at times. And you need to be patient with it. But it rewards that patience by just, you know, creating these kind of soundscapes that are really intriguing and, and will really kind of make you ponder a lot after the fact about what exactly was this song about? What exactly was the message behind this music? Um, yeah, not a lot of music these days is kind of making me have these thoughts. So that's a huge win. Um, and you got to kind of take these interesting, compelling experiences where you can get them. So coming in at number three, for June 2022, we have Shearwater, The Great Awakening. Okay, let's do some mentions. These are the mentions. Okay, um, how do I do this? Where, where do I do I start with the honorable or dishonorable? I don't remember. Let's start with dishonorable because uh, I just think this is going to be a fun, fun little discussion. So, coming in at the dishonorable mention. For June 2022, we've got Alexis on fire with otherness. Okay, <laughs> man, where to even begin with these assholes? Okay, this is my fucking thing with goddamn Alexis on fire. Okay, so I remember I was like, I don't know, maybe 10 or 11 or 12, whatever. Late at night, there used to be this program on Much Music, which was the kind of music video MTV of Canada back in the day, uh, called The Wedge. It was like a half hour long program that they played in the middle of the night when no one was watching, where they would just kind of showcase some new weird music. And I remember being at my friend Sean's place and we're watching The Wedge and um, the video for Pulmonary Archery by Alexis on Fire came on. And I didn't really like it. I mean, I was so young, but this was kind of my first introduction to this world of emo core um, that they initially inhabited. So I didn't really like it, but I found it very intriguing. The video was kind of this weird video of them just all playing in a house and they all had long, ridiculous hair and they looked like a bunch of dorks. It was not my thing, but I thought it was pretty cool. And I think that's how exactly I would describe the first Alexis on Fire album. Um, not really my thing, but, you know, kind of cool. Uh, they, they definitely were doing exactly what they wanted to do. They were definitely part of a, you know, burgeoning scene at the time. This kind of emo core scene that was becoming absolutely massive in um, southern Ontario and they did it well you know 
it's a solid record to go back to. Um, some good songs on there. Some absolutely cringeworthy lyrics, as is, uh, you know, par for the course for that kind of music. And yeah, you know, I got nothing against the first Alexis on Fire album. They did their thing. I respect it. All good. But then something happened. And I'm going to try and relate it back to the Canadian radio and television standards. Um, anyway, an act was passed where it's something like 30% of all content that had to be played on radio stations or music video stations had to be Canadian content. Now, I'm not sure why this even happened, but their second album, Watch Out, managed to sneak a song into popular rock radio. Um, fuck, I don't remember what it's called, but it's the one that's like, uh, tomorrow. And then Accidents also ended up kind of becoming a hit. They didn't change their sound too much. They gave a lot more of the vocal duties over to Dallas, who has that, you know, angelic voice that all everyone loves, especially the ladies. Again, so I'm sorry to the women listening, but this was literally the narrative back when all this was happening. And kind of evening that out with uh, George's, you know, classic uh, harsh vocals. But in, I don't know why it happened, just a weird kind of turn of events where the CRTC standards mixed with them just kind of being at the right place at the right time, all of the sudden, Alexis on Fire was fucking everywhere. You cannot escape these guys. And Watch Out, you know what? Watch Out is actually not that bad of a record. Um, it's not great. But there's some okay songs on there. Um, but then what happened was they released a new record, Crisis, which was this fucking abomination of like alt rock mixed with post hardcore. And all of a sudden, every fucking popular white guy with some hair on his head was an Alexis on Fire guy. All of the jocks, all of the fucking cool-ass hipster dudes, everyone, everyone was all of a sudden a giant Alexis on Fire fan because of this watered-down hybrid bullshit that they were pumping out and you could not escape it on the radio either. 102.1 The Edge, every other fucking song was a goddamn Alexis on Fire song, and it was so uncomfortable because they were still doing harsh vocals, not nearly as much, of course, because this was music geared to the masses and to large audiences. But I just remember being like in the car with my, you know, my parents or whatever, and this could be anywhere in the world would come on, and they'd be complaining about, oh, this guy's just yelling, this isn't real music. And then I go to school and everyone's just playing that song and everyone's just listening to Alexis on Fire and all the douchebags, uh, all the Rob Mortons, 
that's a very niche reference, but a few of you will get it and understand what I'm talking about. Everyone all of a sudden just fucking loved Alexis on Fire. Why? Was it because of the music? Not really. It was just the thing to do. It was the popular thing to do. It was... It was all the, like, cool white guys who had no experience with heavy music. It was their way of, like, oh yeah, like, I listen to, you know, hard rock. You know, I listen to Alexis on Fire. And all of a sudden, all these assholes who had no place in the hardcore scene were there pretending to be fans because that was the cool thing to do at the time. And Alexis on Fire just became emblematic of shitty white Canadian dudes. How is that for a rant? Anyway, thank God they finally fucking broke up a few years after that record came out, after their extraordinarily mid-offering afterwards. Um, old Crows, Young Cardinals. Like, give me a fucking break, guys. Not even the guys who, like, pretended to like the other stuff were even pretending to like this anymore. So, finally, the abomination that was Alexis on Fire was gone from the airwaves. I didn't have to see idiots who had never listened to a, a you know, hardcore record in their life wearing four different kinds of Alexis on Fire shirts. All that went away, and finally, I thought... We were free from the wrath of these assholes. But no, okay? The only thing that could possibly be worse than that is them coming back 13 years later and releasing this massive steaming pile of fucking shit of a record called Otherness. This is some bullshit, okay? What the fuck is this music? This is so bad. This is like... A much, much, much worse version of the garbage that they were putting on the radio back in like 2006. Except it has this air of pretension and this whole like, Oh, we're back kind of feel to the whole thing. That just makes me want to fucking punch myself. It is so annoying, so brutal. George sounds stupider. Dallas sounds even more unbearable. Like, you gotta hear this guy singing his falsetto now. He has this trill in his voice. And I've seen people be like, wow, he sounds better than ever. No, he sounds like a complete asshole. Let's be 100% honest here. These songs are stupid. They sound like they're trying to be like a... Like a... Post-hardcore grunge band. But the problem is that... These guys suck, and I like the idea of a post-hardcore grunge record. Bands have pulled it off before, and they've done it well. Um, I mean, look at Brand New's Daisy. Uh, again, we're not supposed to talk about Brand New, but just to give you an example. It can be done, it can be done well, but this is not an instance of that. This is a band who, of a bunch of, like, aging, you know fucking approaching their 40s guys who are just desperate for relevance once again coming back together to piece together this crap record in hopes of maybe achieving the glory of when every jock named Steve or Mark pretended to like them back in 2006. But the main problem is that all those people who 
pretended to like that music in order to seem cool have grown up and they don't really care about pretending to like this shit anymore. So who is this even for now? Um, it's for themselves and that's it. It's self-indulgent, it, it, it serves no purpose of existence. The fact that it's called Otherness is maybe the most irritating title possible because it's music that appeals to the masses. It's, it's basically like a heavier version of fucking Imagine Dragons as far as I'm concerned. This record is trash. Alexa on fire. You guys are a bunch of assholes. Please just fuck off and die already. I mean the band. I'm not wishing any actual harm to any of the actual members of the band. You know, it's all good. You guys live your lives, okay? That's fine. But just stop. Please, just, just, just stop, okay? We've had enough. We survived one time. Don't make us have to go through this again. So, ugh, my dishonorable mention for June 2022, Alexis on Fire, Otherness. Now for the mention. Okay, let's let's calm down, Phil. Um, okay. Whew! All right. So, the mention. Um, I don't know if you guys heard, but this earlier this month, uh, everyone's friend Drake released a new album out of nowhere. That's the mention, by the way, in case it wasn't clear. And. Much to the shock and dismay of many, this was not a full-fledged rap album. This was basically a straight-up dance record. What? What? What is he doing? What is he doing? He's making music that is different than what... I mean, <laughs> it's not different in the sense of mainstream music or anything like that. But we've been clamoring for Drake to do something different for so long. It's funny to me that when he finally does, people are like, oh no, you know, like, where's, where's the rap? Where are the raps, you know? Where are the, where are the, the bangers? Um, I mean, the main issue with CLB as, um, my guy Phil and I discussed at length last year is that it just kind of sounds like more of the same from Drake. And at that point, more of the same was just no longer excusable because before that, Scorpion was also kind of more of the same from Drake. Um, now, I am a Scorpion defender. I think that uh, if you cut out half the songs on that record, you're left with actually a really, really great record. Um, and I was bold enough to put that bad boy in my top 10 um, of the year for that year. But CLB just didn't even have those songs really to save it. Um, by my watch, there were two good songs on that record. And I think the thing was like 16 songs long. So immediately looking at the new record uh, that he dropped, he's cut it down to 14. So oof, Drake, uh, he's learning brevity, folks. We got to hand it to him. Um, and there are like two songs on here that are obviously just thrown in to appease his hip-hop audience. But for the most part, this is just Drake leaning into, uh, 
styles that he's, he has explored in the past, like more specifically on More Life, but leaning into his more breezier, poppier, dancier side. Um, he plays with a lot of genres on this album. Um, Baltimore House, Piano House, uh, lots of Afropop. And, I mean, if you compare it to the absolute slog that was CLB, this is actually enjoyable to listen to. I, I, I kind of like it, um, if I'm being honest. I think it was a weird decision of him to start the record with Falling Back, which might be his worst song, just in terms of how it sounds. It just sounds so terrible. And then he released a video for it. So like, that was your single? Man, this is, it shows a weird sense of like, like lack of self-consciousness or lack of self-awareness because like it's very easily the worst song in the album and this is what he led with and, and released a video for so some other questions that need to be asked there in regards to his um you know thought processes but otherwise it's it's a very easy to listen to enjoyable album kind of from beginning to end which, I mean, when was the last time you could really honestly say that about a Drake record? And not only that, I mean, there are some actual good songs on the album. Again, for my watch, CLB had two good songs. Um, so two of 16, what is that? Quick math. Uh, it's like one eighth, which is, um, anyway. I'll leave it up to the mathematicians to determine that. But we got 14 songs here, and I'd say there are like four really good songs in this album. So already, percentage-wise, compared to where he's been, he's killing it, you know? At this point, we need to accept Drake albums as just info dumps that you kind of pick and choose what you like from. Um, and this one had a lot more offerings of good stuff compared to other ones. So to me, that's a success. Uh, it's also the least Drakey album maybe ever. He seems almost disengaged on this album. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he recorded his vocal parts and wrote the lyrics for this over the course of like a day. But that's not even a bad thing if I'm being honest with you. Drake is at a point in his life where he doesn't really have anything interesting left to say. He's kind of said it all. He's not really living the most interesting existence right now. Like, I hate to break it to, you know, the majority of hip-hop acts out there right now, but being super rich isn't interesting. In fact, at this point, given, you know, the climate of everything that's going on, being super rich is kind of grating, and I don't want to hear about that shit anymore. So instead you have Drake just kind of singing, you know, paint by numbers, lyrics about, you know, love and women and stuff like this. But it's okay because I don't want to hear any more Drakeisms. I don't want to hear any more stupid corny ass lines that, you know, he obviously tried really hard on and just makes him sound even dumber. Like in a weird way, at this point in his career, the less of Drake we get, the better. Um, 
you know, he needs to embrace more of a curatorial role, similar to Kanye, I think, because he has the resources and he has the access to these resources to make some really good music. He can pay the best producers in the world to put out the best music in the world, you know, and create fantastic beats and, and great production. All he really needs to do is just show up, record his little stupid vocal part, and leave it at that. And I think that we need to accept that that's the best possible version of Drake that we can get at this time. Like, do we really need another five minute long autobiographical rap about him, you know, flying from city to city and all this kind of shit? No, we've heard it all before. We've heard it so many times. We're done. So let's just vibe out to some chill beats, some, you know, let's get our dance on. Let's, let's just do it, you know? Let's just have fun. Drake, just become like a middle-aged man who wants to, you know, vibe out to dance music. That's totally fine, and I honestly think that's your best path moving forward. So, lots of people hate this album, but personally, I think this is a step in the right direction. And I hope he continues doing it. And there's the song Sticky, kind of halfway through. Um, where he does rap, and it's like, you know what? Hearing you rap when it's a very rare occasion is actually kind of nice. You know, it's it's almost refreshing. When it's just him rapping, it, it, it's just like, I don't want to hear this anymore. I've already heard it a hundred times. But when most of the songs are him singing, he's got a terrible singing voice, by the way, but again, it doesn't matter because it's processed to the point of... We're just hearing melodies at this point. It's hardly even him anyway. Um, when you get to him actually rapping, it's like, okay, yeah, I can enjoy this for now. So, a lot more singy, a lot less rappy. Let's do it, Drake, okay? There's a clear path for you forwards. I hope you make the right call and go down it. So, coming into the mention for June 2022, is Drake, honestly, never mind. Forgot to mention that that's what the album was called. And coming in at the honorable mention for June 2022, uh, we got the other biggest artist in the world, Post Malone with 14 Carat Toothache. That's fucking right, folks. Honorable mention to Post Malone. What's going on here? I could not stand this guy when he first came on the scene. Um, can you blame me? He came on with a song called White Iverson, where he had uh, braided hair and was rapping. And it, it really, I don't know, it really kind of rubbed me and I'm sure many people the wrong way. It was a massive hit regardless. Um, and slowly but surely, Post Malone kind of just took over the world. I, it's, it's actually a very strange phenomenon to me, the whole Post Malone thing. I get it. You can't deny the man can write some crazy, catchy songs. But like, who would have thought this dirty looking white guy with frizzy brown hair and a face full of tattoos would have become one of the biggest pop phenomenons on the planet. 
Culture is weird. Um, anyway. Posty has slowly but surely been making his way into my good books. Again, just because you can't really deny how good he is at writing catchy songs. Um, his last record, Hollywood's Bleeding, had a few songs on there that I, I really liked. I mean, there was the that song Circles, which was absolutely inescapable, and yet I still enjoyed it every time I heard it somehow. Um, yeah, he's been slowly moving away from hip-hop as well, and, and kind of making this really genre-agnostic form of pop music that is taking literally everything out there and kind of blending it together into, yeah, kind of like a pop diaspora. And uh, he's doing it really well. He's doing it much better than anyone else. I would say if you look at other people out there that are kind of in the same vein as him right now, you've got the kid Leroy, who really might be one of the worst blemishes on pop music history. He's just terrible. Um, Bieber, who, who is, you know, more R&B leaning anyway. Um, but he's really managed to just find a way to make music that is, you can't really define it. It's just pop music that's catchy. You know, it has influences from rap. You know, it has influences from rap and rap. <laughs> Rop. Rop! <laughs> oh, what a beautiful mistake that was. Um, you know, rock and pop and hip-hop and R&B and pop-punk and all this stuff. Um, but it's a sound that's very distinctly himself. Now the problem is that he's never been able to make a consistent album. Um, classic streaming age, just too much filler. You know, too much gaming for stream numbers, all that kind of stuff. But this album, to me, feels different. It feels like an album, for one. It doesn't just feel like a collection of songs meant to get him the highest streaming numbers possible. It kind of feels like a concise statement from beginning to end. Um, and not only that, I mean, there are some duds on here for sure, but it, it's definitely the most listenable of all of his albums, in my opinion. Um, there aren't too many missteps, which doesn't really sound like that much of a compliment, but it is. And especially when you consider that the non-missteps, you know, the, the hits, are really, really good. Because again, this guy is a fantastic songwriter. You cannot deny that of him. You can say a lot of things about this guy, for sure. But he is an impeccable songwriter. And you see him kind of experimenting a little bit more in this record too, and, and taking the songwriting chops to different interesting places. I think the prime example of this is the random as fuck collaboration with Fleet Foxes, um, Love, ha Love Hate Letter to Alcohol. Kind of a cringy premise, and I mean, almost kind of a pretty cringy song lyrically as well, but it is a fascinating piece of pop music. So 
It's obviously based around um, Robin Peckinold of Fleet Foxes sample and it's also interesting because you can hear the song how it was probably made as the song develops itself it starts out with the sample of robin's absolutely almost choral voice um harmonizing and kind of creating this really soft soothing ambience um for some absolutely massive drums come in um when he performed the song on one of the late night circuits, he literally had taiko drums. And they sound like taiko drums. They sound massive. These aren't kicks. These are just huge banging drums that come in. And it's either a guitar or a violin or something processed to be in between in the background. And then his voice comes in. And it just, it's a really really interesting unique song it's definitely a pop song 100 percent. there's no other way of describing it but it's crafted in this really unique way that you know kind of shows that he's not afraid of taking risks and doing something different if he knows that it'll achieve the results that he wants it to and i remember one night i was pretty out of it just walking home from the bar at like three o'clock in the morning and I just listen to the song over and over again on repeat just kind of marveling at it like it's a marvel of songwriting it's a marvel of vocal production for one just the way that they've kind of treated his voice to cut through in a very non-jagged way through the music and through the mix to make it clear through all these different elements. Um, it's a really cool song. It's really, it's a cool song. I don't know what else really to say about it. It's something you just kind of have to hear to understand. And that's not the only song on there that I think is really interesting. You know, there's a, the song with Roddy Rich, who I really hope gets kind of some redemption because his last album was so bad, it actually ruined his career. Um, so it's nice to hear him on a good song again for once. Um, but that track is basically just drums and Roddy Rich and Post Malone. But it's so catchy and sounds so good. Um, there's a song with Doja Cat, who is my favorite and I love her to death, so I'm always down for any Doja. And just a lot of songs where it's him by himself. And this interesting thing happens in the second half of the album where there's a stretch of songs where there isn't even really any percussion. It's almost like pure ambient pop for a few songs. It's nothing that he would have ever done in the past. It's wild to think that he would be experimenting like this just a few albums ago. So he's reached this point now where he's kind of matured and is very self-assured and no longer really interested in making music purely for the masses and to appeal to people. And you can see that in how this record kind of flopped. I mean, in terms of a Post Malone record anyway, like Hollywood's Bleeding was one, like I think maybe the biggest album of the year it came out or definitely in the top three. Whereas like, I don't even know if this sold 200k in his first week. Um, so it just shows that he's willing to take risks now. And for the most part, these risks pay off. 
So it, it's kind of remind me a little bit of the Drake album in that you, you see two of the biggest pop artists in the world kind of stepping away from what people are expecting of them to mixed results, but generally positive results. Um, and I just kind of feel validated and, and finally, you know, thinking Post Malone is kind of cool now. I just remember the, like in 2020, in the middle of the pandemic, when it was just starting out, he did that live stream where he just played Nirvana covers and they were all like B-sides and like, you know, bench warmer tracks. So not even him just playing all the hits, but him just really showing an appreciation for that band and for that music. And that's when I kind of realized maybe there's something more to this guy. Maybe he's actually pretty cool. Um, and yeah, I just feel validated in that opinion now. So thanks, Post Malone. Anyway, coming in at the honorable mention for June 2022 is Post Malone 14 Carat Toothache. These are the mentions. Okay, folks, let's finish this off. Wow, I didn't realize I had been talking for this long. I really thought this was going to be a shorter episode. I really just went off on Alexis on fire, eh? <laughs> They're alright. I didn't mean all that. Anyway, coming in at number two for June 2022, we have Perfume Genius with Ugly Season. So... This is a record that I've really struggled with whether I wanted to put it at number one or not. Um, I feel like any other month it would have been a number one. Um, it might even still be for this month. I don't know. But this is a really, really fascinating record. Um, so Perfume Genius, for those who don't know, he makes... <laughs> oh, I don't even know. Let's say like art pop songs as he's been making for the past uh, decade, almost 15 years now. Um, I've been a fan. I've always enjoyed his music, enjoyed uh, some songs from each of his records. But this is the first one that I've been kind of absolutely floored by listening to in the first full album statement by him that I'm really truly impressed with. So his, his albums in the past have been, again, like art pop, like maybe the songs are weird and feature unconventional elements, but at the end of the day, he's still writing um, more or less straightforward pop songs that follow structures that you'd be familiar with. But this new record it originated from kind of a, I believe it was like some sort of art exhibition where he was tasked to create music to go along with choreography. Um, now I'm not saying that this is a dance record by any means. That is absolutely not what's going on. It definitely leans much, much more towards the artier side of things, but the point being that the the mere inception of this record um, kind of 
predicates it being different than anything else that he's made in the past. So he, he kind of created the soundtrack for this exhibition and I guess decided, hey, this, this shit is pretty cool. I should make this into my next album. So what we end up here with Ugly Season is this mix of almost haunting, daring instrumental music that branches from very orchestral to very minimal, um, mixed with a kind of a little bit more straightforward what we would think of as actual songs. And the experience that you get going into this album and coming out of it is really unlike anything else he's ever made in the past. So the, he's always had a way with making catchy songs and integrating hooks into his music. But what he's done here is the hooks aren't necessarily important anymore. And the catchiness is more hinted at and, and the catchiness is almost in the small moments of hookiness and, and small, you know, catchy little glimpses that you get that he kind of feeds to you as little appetizers to kind of keep you going throughout the um, almost challenging nature of the music on this album. It's very much uh, the work of a pop artist challenging themselves and challenging the listeners and creating something that is very different than what they're used to creating. But I think in order to really move ahead and, and become something special as an artist, you need to do that. And Mike Hadrius, who, you know, is perfume genius, He's the guy to do it. You know, he just turned 40 and his, you know, music has been amazing, kind of iconic music for uh, gay and LGBT people all across the planet ever since he's been making this music. But he touches on, you know, these topics of, you know, sexuality and the kind of gay experience in really unique and compelling ways on this album that he hasn't done so before. You know, he's never shied away from getting into, you know, the joys of gay sex and, and, and eroticism that way. But he, he really goes into it in this really unique and again, kind of almost Shearwater-esque, mysterious way on this album, where he's more alluding to things rather than outright saying them. The record kind of moves along in a really interesting way, with the first half being uh, the most challenging for sure, and, and low-key and, and almost entirely instrumental before opening up halfway through with a, what is quote-unquote called pop song. It's very far away from a traditional pop song, but it has just enough elements that you can see why it kind of has that tongue-in-cheek title. Um, after a few listens, the catchiness of it all really comes out. And then it moves into this 
really interesting experiment in reggae with the title track, Ugly Season, before going into what I think is one of the absolute most brilliant music moments of the year, um, the almost nine minute long Eye in the Wall, which is kind of this interesting, almost Latin-esque shuffle for the first few minutes. Um, moving forward at a somewhat traditional structure before kind of devolving into this dance percussive freakout for the rest of the song. And he's never done anything remotely like this, but it sounds so good and sounds so cool. Um, before finishing off the record with a photograph, which is almost like a post-industrial song, and then Hellbent, which is just kind of this almost jazz freakout of a track. So he's doing things that he's never ever done before. He's really experimenting and really risking a lot with this record, but it absolutely pays off. Again, like I mentioned, uh, this record could have been number one any other month that it came out. It will likely find its way pretty high at the top of my year-end list for this year. You'll have to stay tuned and find out. But it's easily his best work, I'd say. I don't think anything even comes remotely close to it. And kind of presents this new idea of what the Perfume Genius Project is. Um, he's more than just an art pop guy now. He is a full-fledged auteur. And, you know... He's amongst the, you know, the art music greats at this point, as far as I'm concerned. And I'm really excited to see what happens after this one. So coming in at number two, we have Perfume Genius, Ugly Season. Okay, coming in at number one, we have Candy with Heaven Is Here. So, like I mentioned with the Perfume Genius one, I've, I've struggled a lot to figure out what I wanted to put in this position for this month. Um, but I ultimately landed on this record. And the reason why I did that, I want to tie it back into kind of what we were discussing earlier in this podcast, where there's been kind of a lack of heavy music this year. Um, just because, you know, maybe it doesn't appeal to me as much anymore, or maybe just the quality hasn't been there, or whatever it is. But I will say this much. This record has made me feel more than anything else released this year so far. It is a hardcore slash metal slash every heavy genre you can think of record but the energy that flows through this thing is just absolutely unbelievable like when i'm listening to this i feel like i could run through a brick wall there is just so much fury and so much chaos and and so much just don't, like destruction happening in these songs and in this music that it really kind of re-sparked and revitalized my love and interest in heavy music and made me realize again like holy shit when this is done well 
it's done really really well and there's nothing else in this world that compares to it for me so this is candy's second full-length album um i i haven't even heard their first one to be honest with you these guys only kind of popped up on my radar because they were supposed to um, be one of supporting acts on Every Time I Die's album uh, tour last year before that whole shitstorm happened and that whole thing fell apart. And I was kind of intrigued. I was like, who is this candy band? Like, <laughs> candy? Really? Um, I didn't bother to really check them out for any reason, but when I saw that they were releasing a new record and I saw that it was called Heaven Is Here, and when I saw the album artwork, which is really just really fucked up, <laughs> you gotta check it out. I was instantly intrigued. I was like, okay, this this is kind of sounding like this is gonna be really sick. And wow, I was not let down at all. Um, so this band, this album was produced by, I think his name is Arthur Rizik, and he had a hand in producing the Power Trip records, which I do hear a lot of uh, echoes on this album. Um, and the early Code Orange records, um, back when they were still called Code Orange Kids, and before they were just uh, Sirius XM liquid injection metal fodder that they currently are. Back when they were making really, like, really interesting heavy music. And I you have to give credit to the band for sure for creating and, and writing these crazy songs, but you really have to give credit to Arthur Rizik for the production because I think that's what really makes this album come alive. Um, it reminds me a lot of the Vane album that was released earlier this year. Um, it integrates a lot of glitch and electronics and really interesting, cool production techniques. But where the Vane album kind of felt muddied and, and poorly mixed and kind of undefinable in a bad way, uh, the production just lends this album to sound even bigger and even meaner and even scarier than it did before or, or could have sounded. It just sounds ferocious. I don't know how to put it. Um, I think the other really interesting thing about this album to me is that it, you know, the subject matter is a lot of what you'd expect, you know, the world sucks. I mean, literally, there is a song called World of Shit, um, you know, songs about, you know, the human condition, etc, etc. But in the midst of all this, there are two love songs, if you could call them that. Um, in the context of this music, love has been reduced to, you know, very carnal, um, you know, almost body horror, but, you know, there's still songs about love and desire and, and sex positive. And to hear these in the context of this raging, just horrifying soundscape type music is really, really fascinating. So, it's definitely music that's rooted in hardcore, um, but again, it's a band that's not afraid to inject basically anything into the formula to make the best sound possible. 
um, you know, it goes full on grind, circa converge at times. You have full of hell-esque power electronic experiments. And the second last song in the album is basically a hardcore drum and bass song, um, which fucking bangs, it's crazy. And the last song in the album, uh, the aptly titled Perverse, is just a 10 minute noise experiment. And it, it, it kind of just feels like the decay and collapse of the album, of society, of both, I don't know. But the whole album kind of rips and tears itself apart, all leading itself up to Perverse, which is this nasty, cumulative monster of a song, track, a collection of sounds, I don't know, whatever you want to call it. But in the context of the album, it just makes sense. It's just, obviously, this is what it was all about the whole time. This mess of destruction and obliteration of all sense. And I think it just really goes back to tie in to, again, what I was saying before. And it, it the end result is just this kind of rekindling of my love and appreciation for heavy music and what heavy music can do. How it's capable of being this force, you know? Like, there's a reason why it's called heavy music. It has weight. It can, it can move you. And, like, when I run with this album on, it's all I ever listen to now when I'm running, I feel like I can run through a brick wall. And, and that's the beauty of what heavy music can do, you know? It, it has the ability to move you, to really feel like there is fire surging through your veins when you listen to it. Um, it, it just has an effect on you almost physiologically that no other type of music can do. And this was the album for me this year that has made me remember that. Remember the glory that can be beheld in music that focuses on intensity and extremity. So, coming in at number one for June 2022, we have Candy, Heaven is Here. Sorry once again for talking your ears off. I was not expecting it to go this long. I never do, but it always does. Uh, this is what happens when it's just me sitting alone in a room by myself. Uh, no one can stop me. No one can restrain me. And you're left with just pure, unfiltered, pun intended, me. Um, so yeah, if you like that, that's great. If you don't, you really should stop listening to this podcast because that's really all it is. Thank you so much once again for listening, taking the time out of your busy lives to listen to me ramble about music. Um, I really do enjoy it. It really is something that I look forward to doing every month. Um, as you can tell, I've got a lot on my mind when it comes to these records, so... Thank you for just letting me spew it all out for you. That's going to do it for today. So, this is Phil May signing off from PH5. Have a great long weekend!